Hello and welcome to the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host Jo Milmine and this is episode 124, Yarnporium Fun. Hello, hello, and welcome into episode 124 of the Shiny Bees podcast. I am Joe. I'm your host today, and we're back again with another episode of the show. If you are new to me today, hello. Thank you for coming to join us and giving us a try. I hope you will enjoy the show. Please do let me know what you think. And if you are a returning listener, as always, I'm super grateful for you to be coming back and spending some time with me again. And obviously, I get to spend some time with you via the medium of your earbuds. So how are you getting on? Have you had a good week? How's it all going? I hope it's been good for you and you have been enjoying this uh, slightly cooler weather that we're getting in the UK. If indeed you are in the UK at the moment, if you're in South Africa, you're probably nice and cosy and warm and enjoying the start of your summer instead. And yes, I wish I was there too. But in the UK, I've definitely welcomed back in slightly chillier, breezier weather because that, of course, means that you get to crack out all of your favourite knitted accessories and knitwear and wear them at at will with abandon and I've certainly been doing that including finding my owl's jumper that had been at the bottom of the wardrobe since last winter and rediscovering the joy that is the owl's jumper. That pattern's been out for a long time I think it's 10 years. I saw that Kate Davies was doing some kind of kind of I don't know kind of pattern picky promotion show me your owls type uh, work on social media recently and me being me I don't pay that much attention to what people are doing to be honest but um, everyone was wearing their owls jumpers again I was like oh I'll find my owls jumper and there it was at the bottom of the wardrobe it does need it's a little bit gapy on the neckline because I did do the whole loose cast off thing and it's a little bit wide so I need to just I think now is the year that I do one change the buttons on my red lush cardigan to the beautiful handmade South African incomparable buttons that I've had for nearly two years that I've not put on them and to put some yarn through the top of that neck on the owls just to make it a little bit neater and cosier. They're my nitty jobs that need to be done. So what have we got coming up for you in the show today? Well, today I'm going to do a little bit of chat about Yarnporium. I did go down there a couple of weekends ago to London, to Westminster Central Hall, to Yarnporium, which is run by the lovely Yarn in the City ladies, Rachel Brown and Alison Thistlewood. And I did go and have a mooch around there. It's been a little while since I've been to a yarn show. My last yarn show was Edinburgh. I've had a bit of time off from yarn shows recently just because I'm definitely at peak stash. And I like to go to things that are a little bit different. And some of them like Yarndale can be really samey. So I like to kind of pick and choose my yarn shows to make them a little bit different. Online too, I went to Woolen in Dublin as well in May, so only a couple. That was definitely my last one was Woolen. And as I was due to be an event next door anyway, it seemed like rather fortuitous timing that 
there was a yarn show next door. And as it was, I ended up spending more time in the yarn show than at the event. But that's a whole other story. And of course, I would spend more time at the yarn show than the event because the yarn show is always going to be better. So I've got some thoughts from Yarn Porium, tell you a little bit about it and my kind of best in show as I normally do when I go to any of these events and I see who's exhibiting and what they have on and what things are a bit different and what's kind of caught my eye. I like to always share that with you because sometimes you get to go to shows and sometimes you don't. And even if you do get to go, if you're anything like me, you end up chatting to people and you miss some of the exhibitors as well by accident, just because you see all of your yarny friends and you're all excited and you don't always get to see everyone. So in the spirit of including everyone in this event, I've got my top three best in show that you can go and check out from the comfort of wherever you are now. So you can feel like you were kind of there a little bit if you should wish to do so. So before that, I have a couple of little shout outs to do for people. And one of them is to Floss, Flossy. Flossie Hills, who I know listens to this podcast with her mum in the Fiat 500, a yellow Fiat 500. And she won't be expecting this, but I just wanted to make sure she was paying attention. So hi, Flossie. You're now podcast famous. And I always like to say hello to younger listeners in the hope that we can convert them into being fully fledged knitters or a little bit kind of crazy knitting auntie at some point in the near future. So hi Flossie to you. And there is another person that I would like to shout out on the podcast this week, just in case she has come back to listen to the show again. Now, last, a week on Monday, week last Monday, I received an email quite unexpectedly when I was at swimming. Now, I've never talked about swimming before, but if you follow my Insta, there's a couple of times that I've kind of put on that I'm, I'm knitting at the swimming pool and it distracts me from the fact that my child might actually die because he's really not that good at swimming, bless him. He's absolutely lovely but he is not great at swimming he tries his best but he's very disorganized which means that all of his limbs kind of work at once which isn't the most efficient way to do the swimming thing so I find it a little bit stressful and it's always the temperature of the sun in there as well which is really I get quite aggravated about that you know it's just there's no need for it to be 38 degrees in there when you've got to sit there for an hour and not fall asleep Anyway, whilst I was sat by the side of the pool, I got an email from a lady called Elizabeth, who is a new listener to the show and was a little bit disappointed in that I was her choice to help her fall asleep and that didn't work. She's in the US and um, she basically said to me, hello, I just thought I would drop you a line to let you know that last night in a desperate search for something that I could listen to in order to distract me from my own mind and fall asleep, that is a podcast that would have nothing to do with anything news related or controversial or upsetting and that in fact might be boring as heck, I thought of knitting. I have been known to knit in the past so I searched for knitting podcasts and found shiny bees. I got myself settled in bed and pressed start. WTF. Rather than some gentle tedium about Knit One Pearl 2, I found myself suddenly engaged in a controversy about gender-specific representation on the school council. Um, best laid plans. Anyway, I listened to the whole thing, including your review of the new catalogue with the knitting patterns, that was strange, brew 123, and did not manage to fall asleep at all. But I enjoyed it and may listen again sometime when I'm planning to be awake. <laughs> 
That is probably the best review I've ever had of the podcast. And it isn't even a review. It was just a message that Elizabeth sent to me. I am very pleased to keep you awake at night, Elizabeth. That sounds so wrong. Um, But yeah, just wanted to share that with you because it really, like, I was not in the mood for swimming. And that really brought a smile to my face. I was like, yeah, that is so cool. Sometimes when you're in your spare room, wearing all of your knitwear, talking about random knitting related stuff, you forget that you can be literally transported through time and space uh, to somebody else doing something completely different anywhere in the world. And that is part of the magic of podcasting and why I love that so much over other forms of content creation, including video and writing. Like you can just literally be there talking, whispering somebody to sleep or not to sleep if uh, if you listen to the wrong episode. So thank you for that, Elizabeth. And if you are indeed trying to get to sleep, listening to me now, I suggest you try one of the more sedate podcasts because I am a little bit prone to being lively. So yeah, that was really cool. So what we shall do then, if you are still with me and ready to go, grab your brew, grab your knickers and let's crack on with the show. So here we are with a bit of chat about Yamporium. And as I mentioned, Yamporium took place a couple of weeks ago, beginning first weekend of November in Central Hall in Westminster which is like the middle of London, opposite Westminster Abbey and all that kind of good stuff. So it was uh, one of those things where I wasn't intending to be in London in that weekend at all. And I decided because this event that I went to had tickets that my friend couldn't use and then I found out Yamporium was next door, I was like, I'm definitely going to go. And it was honestly more for Yamporium than than this actual event. Um, (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you, like... It really was. And it was one of those things where, on a side note, before we get into the actual show, we talk about the journey down there. Because I feel like this is a pain that everyone kind of feels. Now, recently I have been the subject of quite a few different travel-related mishaps due to various different things, whether it is industrial action or freak weather or derailment or whatever, I just seem to have wandered my way into various travel-related mishaps, um, one of which resulted in my first ever trip on a National Express coach. And I was really disappointed because there was no Jolly Hostess serving crisps and tea whatsoever. Um, so I, like, I feel like I've been built up by the Divine Comedy to have this expectation of National Express, which wasn't fully realised, um, but it was really good fun. And uh, I had to drive down to London. Normally, if I go to London, because I have the pleasure of living very close to the West Coast Main Line, not so close you can hear the trains, but close so that I can get to places very quickly, I always get the train because it's a couple of hours and then you're in central London and you can do whatever from there, get the, the, the tube or whatever else you want to do. And because I am a northerner, like I smell of whippets, they know I'm northern, they can see it a mile off. It, I may as well have the whippet and the flat cap, they fully know I'm northern. Mostly because I'm being cheerful to all the southern people and s- smiling at people and saying hello sometimes or sorry or excuse me please 
or any of the above, you know, like making eye contact. It's not a thing you do in London or the South in general, really. They're just not as friendly as us lovely Northerners. Now, if you are, you know, one of my listeners in the States or somewhere else, you might not be as familiar with this whole North-South divide thing that I have talked about a few times on the podcast before. And I am a dirty little kind of deserter, really, because I actually married a Southerner which we just don't really do in the North because it dilutes the genes. Um, I'm only, I'm little, I'm five foot three. And that is, I'm quite convinced, natural selection in the North. Like when you were in the North and you were a kid, all my parents were young, you worked in mills or you worked in a coal mine and being tall just wasn't good for that. So we're all kind of short in the North or a lot of people are quite short. Southerners not as much. My husband's six foot three, so he's a full foot taller than me. He's a big, big old lad, right? Which is handy when it comes to removing stuff from high shelves and painting up to the ceiling when you don't want to get on a ladder, like he has his uses. Um, But he is a Southerner. And so I've diluted my genes by 50%, which is a little bit kind of worrying, but he loves, he loves the Southeast. And I'm like, oh, it's all so expensive. They're all like, they're all hating life. In London, they hate life. Like they look miserable. They just look harassed the whole time. They're always rushing somewhere. Like we don't do that in the North. We just, you know, float around. Anyway, I had to drive drive down south which I don't like to do because the drive from where we live to where my in-laws live which is where I was going prior to going to London is a good four and a half hour drive on a no traffic no roadworks no apocalypse day and it has taken us anything between seven and nine hours for the last couple of years to be quite honest because the main north south motorway don't really count the m1 or the a1 because they're on the wrong side of the country but from the northwest is the m6 and it has had extensive roadworks on it for a long like years of roadworks and if you are in the northwest or you've traveled through the northwest at any point in the last two years you'll know exactly what i'm talking about and there are big swathes of the motorway that are dedicated to 50 miles an hour which is a little bit soul destroying. So it was a quite a long trip. It's like a five, I think it took us five and a half hours in the end, including a stop at one of our strategic service stations. And there are strategic stops. I do a lot of traveling, as you all know, up and down the country, across the country, from country to country. And I'm fully briefed in on every decent services across the entire UK. So I have my favorites that I like to stop at. I have the ones that I will not stop at unless someone is about to puke or pee in the car, Cherwell Valley services. And I have my favorites that I like to stop at a lot, like Oxford services, T-Bay services on the way. If you're going up north to the Lake District is a lovely services. But I mean, generally, they're not that inspiring service stations or they haven't been until recently. I've noticed there's a lot of work ongoing to make them more of an entertainment place to stop and stay. And they're actually expanding food offerings to be something other than a cardboard burger. But yeah, we, you know, we don't really stop and it's quite long. Instead of it being two hours to central London, I was looking at five, five and a half hours to Sussex, East Sussex, which is fine on your own. But when you've got the mill miners in the back seat, dash one and two, seven and five. And then you've got two dogs in the boot as well. The fairy members of the family. It can, it adds a certain extra dimension to the whole proceedings. And 
it needs to be managed carefully because there's nobody, if there's two of you in the front, like there's people who can pass back pacifying snacks, right? There are people who can replug in the DVD player when the plug falls out because they're fighting in the back instead of doing what they should be doing, which is watching DuckTales. Thing, you know, like if someone's sick, it can be managed from the front whilst continuing to drive in a very safe fashion because, of course, there are two of you there. One of you can stay in the car with the dogs whilst the other one takes the children to the toilets. As a for instance, like it can all be managed as a team effort. But when it's just you, that extra flexibility goes out of the window. And I'm sure all of those of you with children, whether you're traveling in the UK or somewhere else, knows exactly what I am talking about here because it's one of those things like, Five minutes after you set off, even though they've just been to the toilet, of course, they need to go to the toilet because they don't actually need a wee. They're just a bit bored and they want to go look at like what posters are on the back of the toilet doors and see what kind of hand dryers they've got because that kind of stuff is exciting for you when you're a little kid. And they think they're going to get snacks almost continuously from starting to finishing. So you have to kind of be able to throw various snacks back, but not so many snacks that they just pull the snacks apart and then only eat the ones that they like. And then you have an entire back of your car that's just covered in cocktail sausages and half-eaten monster munch. So it's a whole process. And because I'm dead brave and a a massive baller, I'm like, okay, it's fine. We're going to set off. We can do this. It's going to take us five and a half hours. It's going to be easy can't wait half term let's go let's have some fun guys and off off we went and we had an agreement like we had this agreement whereby on normal school day when we go to school we listen to radio one on the way back we listen to audio books and that's how it works but we didn't obviously we were only going there and not back so we decided we we're going to have an hour of radio and an hour of audio books and then I would get to listen to our podcast So we had our hour of radio and they were just sat in the back, like they weren't complaining about their snacks. They'd had a packet of crisps or something, minimal what's-its on the floor, minimal what's-its, you know, smeared on the windows. It was quite clean and tidy back there. They were colouring nicely. One of them was reading. It was all lovely and quiet. Then we swapped to the audio book and despite the fact it has really annoying levelling and you have to keep turning the volume up and down... You know, we listen to a bit of Roald Dahl, a bit of Light Peril, you know, Small Kids in Danger, the all the good stuff still colouring in the back. We had a little biscuit, you know, had a little drink, not spilt it anywhere, not peed the pants, not puked anywhere, not smashed a window, not caused a pile up, nothing. And then it's like, okay, mummy's turn, mummy's going to put a podcast on now. Oh, I'll put a podcast on, yeah, I can't wait, looking forward to this, I'm a brown. Put, I'll put a nice like business related podcast on. I'll put like, some Amy Porterfield on. I'll listen to this. This is going to be good. Turn the podcast on, right? Spoken word, same as they have on Radio One, has a bit of, bit, of, bit of music in it. Spoken word, same as Roald Dahl, right? It's not Stephen Fry reading it out, but it's same as Roald Dahl. All hell breaks loose in the back. They're fighting, they're scrapping, they're throwing things, they're, they're shouting at each other. And then, you know, out of nowhere, Sammy starts singing the bloody entrance to the Lion King. So I'm like stuck in, you know, outside the M25, obviously on the M25, outside Heathrow, where it's always a traffic jam. Right. And I'm just like, oh, it's always so slow here. I hate the South. London sucks. Like, why is everyone going to Heathrow? You know, you've got mass transit down here. Why are you on the bloody motorway? Right. And then Sammy's in the back. Ah, he doesn't even see Lion King, doesn't even know the words. 
But yet he's singing that and I've got all these guys, like big, you know, white van man cutting me up and crisps being thrown at my head and Izzy needs a wee and obviously there's no services and it's just like, it all turns to rat shit, literally. The minute I put on what I want to listen to, it all goes crazy. But anyway, it was another one of those lovely family road trips that, you know, like you think back on fondly afterwards, but at the time it is an acute form of mental torture, which if you have a co-driver, which I prefer to do, you can serenely knit your way through. If it gets, you know, if it gets a bit too bad, if the road's too rocky, have a quick look on, you know, Ravelry, look at some new patterns, do some nice easy knitting, get, get a few rows out, knit a sock, you know, nice, chill, serene, you know, chill AF. But if you've not got a co-driver, all of that goes out the window. And the Lion King scrapping, fighting, throwing things, puking, smashing windows, causing pile-ups is what happens. But luckily, you know, we did make it in the end without too many hassles, without either the children or the dogs putting any bodily fluids in the back of the car. There were quite a lot of, well, at one point in the last hour, Sam did tear up an entire jotter of paper into tiny pieces literally into confetti because I'm making confetti mummy and was throwing it over the back of the car and at this point I really couldn't give a monkeys because I wasn't getting any more podcasts and I'm just like you know what what anything to stop you singing the Lion King frankly and screeching is fine by me like I'll hoover I'll hoover all that out it's good so yeah we got there anyway got to the leafy Sussex and offloaded the kids on the grandparents and the next day off I went up to London on the commuter train Southern Rail well wasn't that novel it was a train actually from this century which is amazing like quite modern although I'm not entirely sure why when it's a train that goes through Gatwick which is a major airport there is nowhere to store your luggage but a modern train, like one of those little electric beep, 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 trains, which we don't have in the north. In the north, it is like being on ashes to ashes. They are fully the same trains that were doing trains when I was a kid. That went 30, well, no, 25 years ago, at least. Same trains, properly old fashioned with the yellow front diesel trains is what we have in the north. We don't have these like little electric trains they have in the south. Um, But again, it was another one of those things where everyone was hating life. Like it was an off-peak train, but it was completely rammed with people. Like we do trains really badly in this country. But I went through anyway. I got my seat, got my knitting out, just concentrated on picking up my new sleeve, doing my knitting. There was a guy next to me who was talking on the train to a lady who was Irish, clearly had him pegged as a northerner because he was talking to somebody he didn't know, which it turned out he entirely was given away by his accent, which was Mancunian, but also the fact that his ringtone on his on his phone was the Stone Roses, which again is a certifiable, you are definitely Mancunian sticker. Like if you had a little tick list of what makes you a northerner, can you spot a northerner? That would definitely be on there. So he was Mancunian. Um, and I ended up chatting to him just because I like to talk to people on the trains to wind the southerners up because it makes them deeply uncomfortable. And there's nothing worse as a British person than feeling deeply uncomfortable about someone doing something quite normal, but you're deeply uncomfortable about it. So I fully enjoyed in my broadest northern talking to this bloke about you know the the finer points of the north and how my mum used to have a pie delivery no cliches here whatsoever she used to be a pie delivery lady and she used to have a pie delivery round in the village where this guy now lives because he doesn't live in Manchester anymore really good fun gets there does my little brunch thing goes into the emporium 
and it was really good fun. It is an amazing venue that they picked and you can tell, I mean, there's a lot of quite impressive looking buildings in London, especially the older looking buildings were done with really nice big stone. And they do seem to have this thing about really big, massive bricks in London. Like in the north, it's all about, if you go to Manchester, it's all about red Accrington brick, big windows, big arches, kind of quite gothic-y features. You know, that's how, how we did things in the north when the Victorians had money and wanted to build stuff. But in the south, they're all about oversized bricks, oversized yellow stone, basically. And this building was built out of all of that. And it was quite an extensive building. It doesn't look that big from the outside, to be honest. But once you go in there, um, it was really quite extensive and quite grand. There were some really large windows in the rooms that all the different vendors were in. Which meant that you, unlike some venues, like if you go to an agricultural venue, it, if especially if it's a gloomy day, it can be really hard to see properly the colours and things because you just get in a second kind of hand light through like a gloomy, dirty agricultural building roof. You know, it's like maybe it's plastic and, you know, like not, not particularly good quality light. Um, even if it's a sunny day, you can't always see what you're getting because it's going through opaque roof tiles in what is a barn essentially um whereas in this it was properly lit proper windows really nice light it was very sunny outside which meant the inside of the space felt really nice and it was a really airy space as well and um, there's a beautiful stage area in one half of where the vendors were and in the other half again there were each end were very large beautiful on it windows and because the ceilings were so high it felt a really light and airy place to be and it felt quite expansive to be in there looking at stuff. Um, the venue wasn't too packed either. It was a really nice amount of people were in there. Lots and lots and lots of people that I know that I was bumping into literally as I walked in the door. Um, listeners were stopping me, all that kind of good stuff, which I absolutely love. Um, but again, unlike some venues where even if it's an amazing show like Edinburgh, because it is so busy and there are so many people. And it, again, Edinburgh doesn't feel expansive. It feels because of all the stands that it's quite closed in. And because there are so many people, you don't often get the chance to stop and have a conversation and spot people and, you know, just be quite relaxed about it. You have to go to one of the kind of designated relaxing areas, which then isn't really that relaxing because it's quite busy, obviously, which is one of the benefits of the show. But obviously, it, you know, it's a double-edged sword. That wasn't the case with Yamporium and there was a nice breakout area on the Friday where you could go and sit and chat and get a tea and everything else and catch up with people, which was amazing. I really liked the layout and how the different stalls have been set out almost in kind of like a like a figure of eight, really. There was um, edge ones around the edges of the room and then like a, a central bank on both sides of the room, which was... As you walked in the front door, there was a room to the right and a room to the left. And with the, the doors opened between them, it became one large room. And in the right-hand room, there were some people up on the stage. There was uh, Tilly Flop was in front of it and Garth and I, who I'll come back to in a bit, were up actually on the stage, which was very cool. Lovely wooden floors, beautiful Victorian building, which I really liked. Um, also, there was a smaller indie 
spotlight market, which did feel a little bit more crowded because it was in a smaller room and the, the stands were a little bit closer together. But again, in there, like a really good selection of people between people that I'd heard of and seen before and people that I hadn't and also the very woolly stuff and some things that are a little bit different, like um, wire jewellery, for instance. It's just, it's on theme, but a little bit different, which I really liked. And I thought overall, the mix of vendors was really good between people you used to seeing, people you see every now and again and people you've never seen which I always think makes for a really good show because I don't want to go to a show where everyone is the same as they are at every other show because there's no point traveling it's the same stuff it's the same stock so then you're just thinking well what can I do outside of the show and is it worth going to Edinburgh or London or wherever because if it's the same people every time that wasn't the case with this one they always bring in someone a little bit different some things that are a little bit different, which I find to be, you know, that makes for a good show for me. So as always, um, I dutifully went and looked around all of the stuff and I actually, can you believe this, didn't buy anything. And this wasn't kind of like a bad indication or anything of the quality of stuff because there was loads of really, really nice stuff. It was more a case that I spent so much time chatting to people and chatting to listeners and chatting to vendors and, you know, just taking it all in really that I didn't, like, I didn't really shop so much. I almost, almost had an accident at Travel Knitter, which is no surprise. Like, I love Travel Knitter's yarns. I, I could buy them every time I go out. Um, but again, it was one of those things where, you know, I'm going to be moving soon and I don't want even more yarn to have to transport. So it was, it was, it was, it was gut-wrenching, but I did, I did finally say, no, I will, I will leave that for now and I will, maybe I'll get one just before I go as a kind of travelling treat or something. But I was just like, I've got to, got to step away because her stuff's always beautiful. Like it's, it's very, very classic and on trend and it's never going to be like speckles bleh, that that go out of fashion because it's it's a very it's just a very sophisticated palette and really nice stuff. So anyway, back off the travel knitter love because she's always going to be one of my favourites. She can't always be in the best of show. Like it, people will talk, you know. So I had to pick some other people for best in show, and um, the three that I've picked for you to go check out are Rivenets, Garthena and rosy green wool. Now, Rivenets I'd seen online beforehand or seen people talking about their yarns, but I've never actually met Becky before or seen them in real life. So I was quite excited to see that they were there. And she had a really interesting way of displaying mini skins, which was what originally attracted my attention. Because when I'm at a yarn show, I'm looking at the people, I'm not necessarily looking at the yarn, which sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but normally I'm, I'm talking to people and meeting listeners and, and socialising and kind of sucking all of the energy out of the room because I love being around people and I work on my own most of the time. Um, so I'll, when I get to be around people, especially yarny people, like I want to soak it in. I want to bathe in the energy and everyone's so excited and upbeat and positive and pleased to see their friends they've not seen for months. So it, it's a really positive, really high vibe environment. So I like to just bathe in it and, and soak it all in and she caught my eye, my eye because she displayed her mini skins in such a kind of eye-catching way so I went over to have a chat now Rivenets is run by Becky and Marcus you can find them at rivenets.uk online 
I'll put links to this in the show notes, and they do hand-dyed British wool yarns, which doesn't sound that, you know, that, that, that different to anyone else, apart from they actually dye all of their stuff in a narrow boat, which is a canal boat, for, for those of you that are familiar. Maybe you're not as familiar in, in the States, but it is a long thin boat that originally they were used for transporting things like coal and cotton on the canal networks around the kind of industrial revolution and originally they were pulled by canal ponies so they have down the side of all of the canals especially in the north they have something called a towpath and the towpath would be where the ponies walked to pull the barges or the narrowboats along the canal to transport coal and cotton or finished goods from the mills to wherever they were going. So there is a big canal that runs directly from Liverpool where a lot of the stock would come in from by sea down to all the way across to Leeds and then you've got the Bridgewater Canal in Manchester that did also a lot of the same stuff. Um, and you know it's a canal that runs right by where we used to live so the canal is very very familiar to me um, as someone who came from a a cotton town originally and the mills in the centre of town do have their own little berths that come off the canal that were specifically for parking up the boats in that area to move in the cotton and coal. So narrowboat bringing it back to what we're talking about they actually live on a narrowboat which is really awesome and they travel around the country on the river and canal networks living on their boat exploring and dyeing hand-dyed yarn all on the boat. It's all British and they do a lot of BFL and basically Becky used to be an engineer and on her maternity leave she started dyeing yarn and that's what they do now which is really awesome and her husband Marcus also dies that with them so I think it's just like a really cool story I can see how the things that you would see when you're traveling would change and would maybe influence you in terms of what colors you created and I think it's just a really cool story like my uncle and auntie live on a narrow boat for half of the year they live half the year um, abroad and half the year on a narrow boat here in the UK and it's just you know like it's quite an exciting you feel quite close to kind of nature you close to the water and stuff and you see all the trees and things around the canals um, and it's quite a nice, simple existence. And I like the idea of how they've integrated dyeing yarn into their exploration of the canal systems and the river systems in the UK. I just think it's really cool, really interesting. And the yarn was really nice colours, nice bright colours. And as I said, I was attracted initially to the way that the mini skeins were displayed. And she does do a lot of mini skeins. So if you like those, definitely something to check out. So that was my number one. She was my best in show likes that one i'll put um, some pictures in the show notes and links and everything there you'll find them at shinybees.com forward slash one two four if you're looking for links so you don't need to navigate away you can stay with me next my number two was garthena now garthena are not new they've been kind of around a little bit uh, for a little while now but i've never really got down and dirty and had a good squish grab sniff as louise scully would say um of any of the stuff but they were up on the stage and I do like a stage so I went up there to go and have a look at all of their stuff now the interesting thing about Garthena is it's all organic British wool that they do 
various different breeds, various different blends, but it's all certified to global organic textile standards and it is all fully traceable yarn, which as you know, I love the tinsel yarn, I love the novelty yarns, I love your beautiful luxury hand dyed, but probably my favourite thing is to f- the stories behind these and a single farm yarn or fully traceable yarns are definitely something that I really like to learn about, to hear the stories of and to try out for myself. And in fact, a lot of my eating habits are going that way. I think I posted on Instagram a few weeks ago where I was Instagram adverted into buy crowd butching, buy a co.uk. And this is a similar thing. It's all about buying meat. So if you're a vegetarian, it's not going to apply to you, but you basically crowdsource your meat. So you all buy a certain bit of the cow. And once once all of the bits of the cow are sold, they then send the cow to slaughter. But it is done in a really kind of humane way where there's low stress for them. They get some time at the abattoir to just kind of chill out so it doesn't spoil your meat because they're not stressed. And um, the cows are really well looked after. They come from a specific farm. You know the ear tag number, which can you know can either like it or put you off. But you know they've been raised in a really nice ethical way. Quite often they are organic, low um, antibiotic use, all that kind of good stuff. So it follows that I would also be interested in introducing that into my clothing and yarn habits and the way that I choose to to do things. I think it's a sustainable way forward, you know, to try and think about minimising your impact. If everyone did that, not everyone can, but if everyone did, it would actually make a difference. So that's something I'm really interested in. So I was very excited to go and have a look at their different yarns and see what they have. They're based in West Wales on a family farm. And as I said, all of their yarns are produced to global organic textile standards, which means the yarn, the wool is, you know, the sheep are raised in an organic way, they're fed organic food. And then when it comes to the processing, that is all done organically as well. So it minimises the use of pesticides, heavy metals, toxic chemicals that can leave residues on your clothing and on um, the yarns that you use. And obviously that's not, it's not, it's not good for you. All that stuff, heavy metals are really, really bad for you. You know, toxic chemicals can cause reproductive problems, cause allergies, like it's not nice stuff that they use and that then gets pumped into rivers and everything else. So I like the idea of it being something that's a closed loop system with the water, you know, it's not pumped full of chemicals and then you've got something really beautiful and sustainable from animals that are happy that you can then knit into something that you can wear for years afterwards. So they have a whole different range of yarns. Some of them are breed yarns, you know, some of them are blends. Um, they do socks, they do custom knitwear, they do a lot of different things. Um, so I can't go into all of the different kind of yarns and stuff now. I'd just recommend you go and have a look at them because there are a lot of different options and shared options. They have undyed and dyed. I prefer dyed, as you know, because I find undyed yarns to be a bit boring and you, you know, like you can have the dyed yarn and it's still been a, a sustainable way, which I think is really cool. So that is Garthener. You can find them at garthener.com. And again, links for that will be in the show notes. My third place winner for best in show for Yarnporium 2018 is Rosy Green Wool. And I'm obviously on some kind of organic kick at the moment because Rosy Green Wool also are global organic textile standards, organically certified 
yarn producers. It's run by Rosie and Patrick, who are based in Munich in Germany, and hashtag small world, are really good friends with a friend of mine called Laurel, who isn't a knitter, but she's a friend of mine as well and knows them as she runs an online travel business. And I'd She'd mentioned that she knew them before, but I'd never met them until this weekend and I hadn't seen their yarn in person either because I've not been at that many shows. So they are based in Germany and Rosie grew up in the knitting and spinning world. Her grandparents owned a spinning mill that was then passed on to her parents. So she kind of grew up in the, with lots of people knitting and crocheting, the smell of wool everywhere and naturally she she got into that she is um an it specialist is what her trade and um, but she went back into the wool when she wanted to create garments for herself and couldn't find a really nice soft organic merino for her to work with and again doing the research she found that there were a lot of practices around merino farming that she didn't really agree with like meals in um, and all that other kind of stuff and she wanted to find something that had minimal impact and wasn't covered in chemicals. So obviously the more you dip the sheep and you, you know, you give them antibiotics and all that kind of stuff, like it, it, it creates a toxic load in the wool, like it does. So she went and sourced organic Patagonian merino, which she has spun and dyed in uh, organic mills in the UK itself. Um, and she's also now doing some stuff with Rare Breeds Survival Trust to create rare breed yarns as well. And I just felt like, again, it was one of those things. It's like a nice organic yarn. There's the Rare Breed Survival Trust aspect to it as well. They've got some nice shades of yarn that you can choose from. It isn't all horrendously expensive either. You know, it's like a range of price points if you want to be trying some different stuff. And I just like that idea of, um, like I say, obviously on an organic traceability kick at the moment, of it being something that is a, feels a little bit more kind of commercial and it isn't necessarily hand-dyed, but you've got that whole journey from the sheep to the yarn, whether that is in a smaller, closed circuit on the farm, traceability like Garthner, where it is their own farm, or whether it's someone who's getting that raw product and creating something out of it so other people can use it, you know, it, it's... I feel like it's hitting that kind of sustainability, thinking about my impact sort of itch really for me at the moment. So like I said, they're my top three. In fact, sorry, Rosie Green, you can find it at rosiegreenwool.com online. But they're my top three best in show for Yarnporium 2018, which is one, Rivenets, two, Garthener, and three, Rosie Green Wool. And as I say, all of the links will be in the show notes at shinybees.com forward slash one, two, four. So yeah. A lovely weekend was had by all. Thank you very much to Rachel and Ali for putting on an awesome show. It was really, really lovely venue, really nice mix of vendors, some awesome people there. I even bumped into my two South African friends, the two Sallies, the two Sallies, Sally um, Jane Cameron, Pink Hair Girl Knits and Sally Trollope, which is Wool Diaries, Sally, who I've not seen since South Africa. I've not seen them since South Africa and they're both now in the UK and they were both walking down the street outside Westminster Central Hall, at which point I saw them both squealed literally at the sound that only dogs can hear and ran over and was so super excited and was just bouncing around like some crazed Haribo ridden three-year-old because I hadn't seen them in so long and I was just so genuinely delighted to see them and I forget 
right? I forget that they're both quite tall. Like I'm five foot three, but in my head I'm six foot because I'm a massive baller. And they are literally like nearly six foot. Like I think Sally's like five nine, five ten. Um, and the other Sally is very similar height. So I forget how tall they are. Um, so they took a picture and it was honestly, it was like a kid out with her two moms, literally. Like they're so much taller than me. I look ridiculous. Um, but they were absolutely lovely and so, so excited to see them. Both of whom have podcasts. Sally Jane has been on this show before talking about when she wrote South Africa on my needles and Zanzi and she was interviewed on the show before Sally Trollope hasn't been on but we probably should get her on because she's hilarious and um, they both have podcasts both of which I will link to in the show notes as well if you're a bit of a sucker for a South African accent like me I'm sure you will enjoy both of those so that's all we've got time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I've really enjoyed being back with you again and looking forward to being back with you in the next episode as well. So all that remains for me to say is I hope you will have a lovely week. Happy crafting and I will speak to you all again soon. Cheers. You've been listening to the Shiny Bees podcast. Show notes for this episode can be found at shinybees.com forward slash 124. And if you'd like to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very much appreciated and help other people find the show as well. Cheers. I feel a need to laugh again with you. If that's all right.